0: We are Workplace Caregiver Advocates, and we provide practical and inspirational training for working caregivers through the companies they work for. I'm Debbie Howard, and I'm a caregiver advocate, a market researcher, and a yoga enthusiast.
1: I'm Jonathan Brody. I'm a gerontologist who has worked in global healthcare for over 20 years, launching both pharmaceuticals and devices for adults, as well as being a caregiver for my family as well.
0: I'm Tanya Krim, market researcher, gerontologist, caregiver, long distance, because my parents are in London. I'm also a
1: coffee and chocolate lover. Our mission at Caregiver Camp's
0: podcast is to expand the boundaries of thinking around where and how companies can
1: support their caregiving employees. We hope you enjoy this episode today.
0: Hi, I'm Debbie Howard, your host for this episode of Caregiver Camp podcast. And I'm here today with our guest, Benjamin Surmi. Director of Education and Culture for Kelch Communities.
1: Good to be here, Debbie. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you, Benjamin. Just a little bit about you before we get started. At Kelch Communities, Benjamin works with 2,000 residents in about 40 care communities across the Western United States. With a master's degree in gerontology from California State University at Fullerton, Benjamin is a passionate innovator in the area of memory care. In addition to designing the content and delivery of the orientation program for over 2000 employees, he also delivers educational and inspirational presentations to aging residents, their family members and professionals with a focus on improving how we support people living with dementia so they can thrive. Benjamin also manages partnerships with universities for cutting edge research, applying academic knowledge to everyday use situations. Again, welcome, Benjamin. We're so happy to have you with us here today.
1: Hey, well, I love what you're doing. I love what you're doing in supporting caregivers all across the globe because it is a a group of people who needs um, some real innovative support.
0: They absolutely do. Thank you so much. And we're so happy to have you in this space too, Benjamin. So let's dive into your personal story first, Benjamin. I always like to hear how you came to be interested in gerontology and memory care specifically.
1: You know, it started when I was probably seven years old and I would get to know the elders in my neighborhood. And then I got to be a teenager and I would sit for hours at the feet of the elders in my neighborhood. My brothers would be playing basketball. I'd be sitting listening to stories of World War II and concentration camps from the people who lived those things. And then I started volunteering in retirement communities and felt like I belonged there. I remember a day driving home from volunteering, pulling over and going, I belong here this is so amazing. And as I'm a gerontologist now, and I look back after all my studies, I'm like, oh, what was going on is I was um, you know, feeling the need for community. In retirement settings, there is often a type of community that's missing in much of modern life where you have 70 to 100 young people all taking care of 70 to 100 older people and all the families. And there's this intergenerational community of like 400, 500 people And it's almost like the old fashioned cheers. Everybody knows each other's name and, and you can just build these relationships that you can't build in a typical modern neighborhood. Right. Right. And then, then I got a job at a retirement community working as a concierge in the assisted living, and they built a little memory care and I worked as the activity director. And that's where I fell in love with working with people with dementia. And one of the things that I think was so astounding to me was the fact that you could experience a friendship with someone living with dementia that was hard to experience with people without dementia and that there was a filterless authenticity Mm -hmm. that you could experience with someone who had just dropped so many filters in order to survive. And there was friendships that were born that were so unique and I also remember the fun of living in the moment, right? Like I'm living in a world where we have to be perfect and everybody has to have reasons for everything and everybody has to have their stuff together. And I'm living in this environment where one day people think we're on a train. And so I get to pretend we're on a train together. The next day people think there's a wedding going on. So all, we're getting ready for a wedding. And it was like I got to live in a world where you never know what the moment would bring. And for some of us adults, we don't play very often. And I know. In a, a, you know what i'm saying so, so i think that's where it started for me
0: i love that benjamin and your passion really comes through and i personally don't have so much experience with dementia patients but i can really relate to what you're saying and i think that's fantastic and it's really interesting that you had that aspiration from such a young age you're such a natural
1: oh well it's been a, it's been a fun ride that's for sure
0: yeah yeah So, Benjamin, I know you work a lot with digital products, and I've heard you talk about some of the great innovations that are coming up. And I'd like to just ask you about this whole situation as we start to move past the pandemic and towards whatever the new world is that we're moving into. What are your observations about the digital aging that we've all gone through collectively during this pandemic?
1: Just to clarify, when you say digital aging, do you mean we're growing and maturing in how we use digital um, tools, or do you mean maybe perhaps a tiredness of using digital things? What what do you mean when you say digital aging?
0: Actually, it's a little bit different take on it. It's that we were all forced to get digital in ways that we may have been avoiding as individuals and also as companies mm-hmm. um, and i'll i'll just give you a little example for example in japan we are known uh, you know i have a strong japan background companies were known for example not to be that digital actually yeah. a lot of the employees didn't even have their own laptops
1: mm-hmm. to be
0: able mm-hmm. to do the work from home so japan was really caught unready if you will at the beginning of the pandemic, and they have really compressed and reacted and adapted rapidly to the situation. And I've heard other commentators say things like, we've advanced in our adaptation to technology about 10 years in the two years that we've been forced to adapt. So that's the angle from which I'm coming. And and it's kind of like, I'm just kind of interested to Think about how you might have seen this compression and adaptation playing out in Kelch communities.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Yes. So, definitely have seen what you're talking about. However, I will take a bit of a contrarian view, and that I think that the experience of the technologies left many people with a, oh, there was a lot of promise but it didn't deliver. Right. So there's some of that going on where it's like, okay, there's this promise and we're going to bring it in and make it happen. And then there's a, it doesn't work quite as well as all the marketing made it sound right. So uh, some of that going on. And I'm I am guilty also, of that being in marketing. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then some of it is also, I think a, um, a realization of how precious in-person connection is Mm -hmm. and so while we might be using technology to let's say facilitate window visits or facilitate virtual visits or facilitate family visits as soon as there's any opportunity to go ahead and have in person all that's kind of gone right and it's like we're in person right It's it okay and then there'll be a few stragglers that will will still want the technology that's now in place but most people are going to be like i want the physical i want the in-person at least in this in this world of working with um, 70 to 90 year olds and their family, which are typically 50 to 70 year olds, um, that's a lot of what we're experiencing. A thirst for in-person, a thirst for connection um, and not seeing all the promises realized. With that said, I, as a big tech proponent myself, uh, you know, I I bank with an app that, you know, there's no bank, right? It's, It's an app only, you can't ever, talk to a teller, right? Like that's me, right? Uh, First mover on like things that make my life easier through technology. Um, I'm glad for some of the, the incremental changes that have been made. For instance, before the pandemic, not a single community had a FaceTime Skype account where families could call in and be like, hey, I live in Florida, my mom's in California. Can I talk to my mom? That wouldn't have happened now, even though maybe it's only five percent of families, they have that option that they didn't have before. And that's really important to me.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, that that makes sense. And and it's interesting that there will probably be some whiplash, if you will, to the person. I know that I did a lot of Zoom calling in the first year of the pandemic <laughs> with my friends. And then four of us actually got together for a real in-person visit to Sedona and we were astounded. You know, we had been living with the zoom calls and we thought that was pretty good because that's all we had. But when we were in person drinking wine together and eating snacks and preparing snacks together, it was amazing. And it was so much better. So I, I very much hear what you're saying. And, but I'm also glad to hear that some of the families who were, perhaps further away mm-hmm. could use some of that technology mm-hmm. that's that's great and that that some of that will remain yes yes okay so what is a window visit tell me that
1: well so let's say a particular county says no family may walk into the building to visit their loved one during this time then Families can visit through a window. Some counties might say you can't open the window. Some counties might say you can open the window. And so, using technology such as special wireless headphones that they can communicate through that window and hear each other with microphones, or possibly using some sort of Skype or FaceTime experience connected with the window. So they're hearing, seeing, and going to the window, right? That's an example of how important technology was to that particular experience.
0: Okay. Okay. And were there any things that worked really well that you think might stick for the future?
1: Yes, yes. So at Calcian Innovation Lab, we test a variety of technologies and non- Technologies, and it could be a physical item that changes people's health, or it could be some sort of in-person training experience that's unique and different. So we test a variety of things. One of the things we test is is hardware technology or software technology that might help. So one of them is a program called Familio out of France, and that is a program in which the family members—maybe uh, it's one family member or twenty family members—they have an app that they're able to post pictures and messages digitally, but then the grandmother, excuse me, or grandfather or mother-in-law, whatever, they receive those messages as a full-color printed magazine every Monday. And I really like this because I think it's a a happy medium or it's the new wave of technology um, makes our physical and in-person relationships better rather than trying to replace them with a digital alternative. So the, the elder gets something physical. Just like they would have gotten postcards or letters 20 years ago, now they're getting something physical. Five years ago, they would have had to get a tablet themselves and see those messages on a tablet. Now they can get something physical that really resonates with them, that they can hold, that they can touch, that they can feel. And so I'm particularly interested in innovations that get us to experience the real world more deeply than just try to replace the real world with a digital experience. It's very interesting to me. So Familio accomplished that. And we actually selected that medium of communication over the more mainstream options, which were kind of video-based communication for senior living. There's several options out there that make it easy for families to send video and the elders send video and they, they go back and forth very easily facial recognition so that, you know, HIPAA is protected and all that kind of stuff. We ended up going this direction because it had a physical component. Um, I anyway. love
0: that. I love that. And I love the way you put that. So we're augmenting reality and not replacing it. Mm-hmm. So that's really nice. And and I can imagine that that's very comforting to get a real physical thing.
1: Mm-hmm. That's yes. Especially when you have dementia right? If you see a one minute video, you forgot you saw it 10 minutes later, many times here. This is in their room. They can pick it up again and again, and maybe it's the first time they've seen it every time.
0: Right. Right. That sounds excellent.
1: Yeah. I love that. Also starting to pilot virtual reality, which is probably a really bad example of not replacing the digital or not replacing real life with digital. However, I can't take my residence to Italy anymore. Like yeah. they just, they'll never get to go. So this is an opportunity for them to go see Rome, to go see the Vatican, to go see a beach that they grew up on. Uh, the, the technologies we're going to be using are also going to let them, uh, if a family member, let's say, takes a $100 360 camera with them to a wedding, they'll be able to go to their daughter's wedding that maybe they can't go to because of how severe their condition is. And yeah, so even right. though it, it's still not quite what I'm looking for as far as connecting people with reality. It takes them to reality in a way that feels more real than just looking at a video on a screen.
0: Okay. So tell me, because I haven't tried virtual reality oh, yet, but you've got to try it. Debbie. I know I'm, I'm really excited to try oh. it. Tell me how it works.
1: So they'll put on goggles Okay, and these goggles at the moment, they're, more like headsets there's goggles coming into the field at some point soon that are more like glasses but either way they're going to be goggles with speakers and so our team then who ha- has an iPad can control what each person is seeing on their headset so the elder doesn't have to learn any technology they can just relax in a chair, put these on and be in a relaxation meditation at the beach. They can be flying out of a plane and skydiving. They can be rolling down the Colorado River. They can be walking around Paris or they can be seeing videos of their family and friends in a different unique environment. Um, There's a lot of potential for even uh, there's a company that's doing something very unique that where they recreate historical events in 360. Um, degree vision. And so someone can go see the Queen of England being coronated, but feel like they're actually there, right? Or they can experience what it would have been like to watch the first spaceship go into space and land on the moon and all that stuff. They can experience that. So there's some really fun things being developed.
0: Yes, that sounds great. And you're finding that with your residents who are trying these things, they're enjoying them and they're they're really excited about it.
1: So we are just starting to launch. We're probably getting our first sets launching in December. And so I will give you more data then. Um, we did try to do it ourselves. We bought Oculus Quest headsets from Facebook for some of our independent living communities. But you know those are designed for people who can control, a screen with joysticks. And so many of the 70 to 80 year olds living in our independent living, even though they're very active, they drive cars, et cetera. They work their iPad. It was too complicated. And so I'm very interested to try this model where they literally put it on and go for a ride. Right. It's passive. They very interested. Yeah.
0: Joy. Wow. Okay. Well, that's, that's very exciting, Benjamin. And I imagine you know, just like you said early on, how every moment is very special and you never know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. They might forget it very quickly thereafter. So it's very exciting to think that, um, a dementia, a dementia patient could enjoy a Mm -hmm. family wedding for Mm -hmm. for that. That, That's a fabulous innovation. Yeah. Yes. Yes. One
1: thing we did try that, um, was a great concept, but didn't end up working out probably just because the technology wasn't ready. It was a, you know, we, we have zoom, we have FaceTime, but you can imagine with working with someone with dementia, it can be disorienting. Like you, when you watch TV, you just watch it. So now we're asking them to talk to the TV. That's nothing in their lifespan that would have prepared them for that. And so it can be disheartening for a family to have a Zoom conversation with a loved one with, living with dementia. So this company came up with a plan to basically have an app that would show the face of their loved one and then show them the face of their loved one. And they could listen to the same music at the same time. So it was built for listening to music, but you could see each other as you were listening. Mm -hmm. And which to me would have been a very powerful opportunity for connection because you're not worried about talking about something or asking questions and, okay, dad, I don't know what to talk about because you're not talking back to me. Instead, we can just listen to his favorite favorite top five songs. We can just listen to them, have a good time and then I can hang up and I had a good connection with my dad, right? So I hope someone will really dial that in. Um, What I do notice with some companies is they get really into metrics and tracking and they don't necessarily build the product itself to be life transformative because they put so much energy into tracking feelings and moods and and faces and, and other things, health metrics. And I think There's a lot of that in age tech, where there's a big belief by the data science folks who build a lot of big tech, who see the value of data and think senior living is going to want as much data as they can get. Senior living saying, no, what we want is something that changes people's lives, right? That's what we want. If we get data out of it as well, cool, bonus. But I'm not going for data first. I'm going for something that literally changes their life.
0: That makes sense, Benjamin. And I know we talk a lot uh, in the caregiving world about the need for humanity and that high Mm -hmm. touch. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not something that we can replace. We Mm -hmm. we cannot replace love in the world. That's just a fact. So I'm really interested in that balance, finding that balance when we get into this use of technology.
1: Yes. One more example I'll give you is one that we had to put together ourselves, but it's something that can be very valuable for a caregiver who is caring for a loved one at home. And what we saw is that when you give someone a headphone with music that is tailored to their specific likes, and they hear it through a headphone, not over overhead speaker, not through a speaker in the room, but right here, and it just becomes immersive that it opens up conversation, singing, dancing, expression that you might never see otherwise. Now for a family, that's fairly easy to do. You just get an iPod touch or a smartphone that can't dial out and you get Spotify on it and you create a playlist for dad with his, his favorite songs. Like it's right. fairly simple to do. And I highly recommend any family take that step. Like if you want to do one thing to help a person living with dementia or just an older person in general who may not be able to handle their record player, their CD player anymore very well, just build them a playlist with their top 20 songs, put it on repeat, let them listen to them over and over again, and then change out for variety if you want to. But just doing that alone is one of the most significant things you can do. Now, imagine our setting where each memory care has 80 elders and you know, we need to figure out how everybody gets music when they want music on demand and how this works. There's nobody who's created something that will service my field unless I want to pick something that has like, I don't know, a few thousand songs. I, I, I can't access 30 million songs for my residents through any sort of program built for senior living. It's not there. So what I have to do is I have to create hundreds of email addresses And I have to buy accounts on Spotify and I have to uh, create multiple accounts for each location and have uh, smart devices at each location. And then we create playlists for the elders on one specific account that the other accounts follow. And it's very complicated, but we do it because we need our elders to have music. And so they can check out an iPod and a caregiver can check out an iPod anytime a day or night and say, here's your favorite songs. And we do a four page survey when someone moves in to find out what music they loved and what artists they loved. And then we program those playlists for them.
0: I see. I see. Okay. Well, there's a great idea for someone (laughs) right there. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, in our corporate caregiver camps, What we're focused on is supporting employee caregivers who support their aging loved ones. And many of these employee caregivers are caregiving for loved ones with memory care issues, whatever the incidence is in our society. I'm thinking it's probably a third of all caregivers. Is it that high of a statistic for memory care issues among caregivers?
1: I haven't seen the statistics, but one of the reasons people become family caregivers is because dementia is in play, right? If your loved one is not having a neurocognitive disorder and is able to manage a lot of their life, other than maybe some frailty issues, right? Typically families are able to handle that relatively well. And may not even self-identify as a family caregiver because it's fairly, I won't say it's easy, but if there's not significant physical disabilities or significant neurocognitive disorders or some sort of mental health disorder in play, you know, many family caregivers may not even see themselves as a family caregiver, right? Because as long as the, the meals are made or, or someone yes. drops off groceries or we help mom with their finances, like things
0: are fine,
1: right? It's pretty um, normal
0: at that point.
1: Right. But when you start to get any kind of dementia in play, that's where I think more families see themselves as family caregivers because it begins to take a toll on your mind as you're worrying about them at night. How are they? What's going on? You're worried. Yes. Are they going to leave the house? Are they falling? What's happening, right? That's a very general, I'm sure it's probably, you know, there's, there's plenty of people who really are very involved in a loved one who doesn't have a neurocognitive disorder, but they probably have a significant frailty issue or some other type of disability.
0: Well, we do know that 30% of every workforce in the States are caring for aging loved ones in some way, shape or form. And we also know that one third of these employees who are caregiving for aging loved ones end up having to leave their jobs eventually Mm -hmm. because the care responsibilities become so overwhelming. I'm thinking that I I should double check those statistics myself, but I think it's a pretty high percentage actually Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. in our society. So I'm, I'm interested what kinds of advice you might have for companies in terms of the specific support needs that they would need to think about for their caregivers who are caring for memory care receivers? I know that's a multi-layered question, Benjamin, Mm -hmm. but I know among your residents, for example, you will have working caregivers, Mm -hmm. right? They're Mm -hmm. they're employed full-time, but you're taking care of their parents in, in the communities. But of course, they are very involved coming on a regular basis. So what kind of advice, if you had to give advice to a company about what they should think about when they think about their own working employees who are caring for uh, dementia patients and loved ones, what would you, what would you have to say?
1: Well, the first thing is that I, I think many companies still feel like they would be marketing someone else's products. They don't see many of the aging related services as services the same way they would, I don't know, HR benefits uh, um, or some sort of counseling service, you know, if you're going through a crisis, right? Uh, Many companies still look at the services that are available in their city to help their employees as businesses that are selling something. And we don't want to be, you know, putting other people's products in front of our customers or our our employees, right? I think that's a barrier where an HR team and a leadership team has to realize that, Yes, some of these things cost money because your HR program doesn't pay for them and probably never will, but families don't know they exist and they need to be aware. Like for instance, our company offers day programs in any memory care across the country. Someone for like 20 bucks an hour can drop off their loved one for one hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, whatever. And they can participate. They can eat meals with other people. They can do activities and have you know a great day. And then we offer respite care where I just need someone for three nights next week because I got a a work trip, right? And then we offer the ability to be able to stay as long as someone wants or short as someone wants uh, and, and live in a community and get support, right? And we have things like lending libraries with tons of books about caregivers and caregiving that people can check out. and There's all kinds of educational resources, et cetera, and classes and you name it, right? But if we go to many companies, they would be like, Well, no, we're not going to tell our employees about you because you guys are a business, right? And so I think that's part of the barrier is realizing that home care, dog sitters, cooks, you know, uh, meal delivery services, these are all things their employees need to know about. And so to stop viewing them as, you know, businesses that are trying to sell something to their employees and realize that it's a suite of tools that are available in their city and they have to think about it in a little different way. So that's one thing I would say. I love your comments on that.
0: I love that. I I hadn't even really thought about the fact that you would be offering those to companies and employees of companies in your own communities. You're already doing the services. So Mm -hmm. why wouldn't you be offering those? I love it that you allow people to have respite services, for example. I know in our town, we have a situation where one woman who is so committed to caring for Alzheimer's patients literally offers a four hour respite opportunity through our community center free of charge. But she has partnered with one of the home care services here Mm, in town. mm, mm. And so it's all very nicely put together. And you're right. If, if a company I think there is some attitudinal change that we have to work on there. I love that. and And it's great to know that you offer those services there. We're going to work on that together, Benjamin, because i i, I, I mean, i I think this is something that when we look at these kinds of challenges in our society, it's not a one-note answer. Mm-hmm. You know, there's never a one-note answer. And that's one of the problems in solving it. I know I'm preaching to the choir with you, but, but I, I get really excited thinking about the possibilities if we would all just open our minds a little bit and think about it. Let's just talk about companies because companies mm-hmm. need support from, I think, outside entities in order mm-hmm. to deliver support to their caregiving employees. Are there any companies who you've been able to partner with successfully on any of these types of activities?
1: I mean, we partner with lots of organizations in the educational outreach to family members and in the kind of allied healthcare and working together with realtors and downsizers. And, you know, we partner with all kinds of people who are part of the aging services spectrum. But to my knowledge, we have very few relationships with like an HR department at a large, you know, company's headquarters where we are, you know regularly talking to their employees or have some sort of listing on a, here's your benefits page, things like that. Very rare to find that once in a while, there'll be like a part HR director who gets it. And for a, a period of time, we may be invited in to give some workshops or something that people may or may not attend. Right. But no really good formal relationships. And I honestly don't know if that will ever happen. I think that the way it's going to work is there's going to be a few players who create a brand that companies can trust Mm -hmm. because they're not necessarily selling anything themselves. They're simply offering counsel and guidance to their employees related to aging services. And then the companies like ours are connected with companies like that and their counselors then educate people about what's available in their city, right? That's probably how it's going to happen most of the time. You know, even now, right? Like we, as a company, we hire a another company that's at a an EAP, Employee Assistance Program company. One of the topics they say they help with is elder care. I don't believe they're actually really that knowledgeable about all the services available in any particular city. They're probably going to direct people to AARP and the Alzheimer's Association and be like, "Go look at those websites, right?" Um, So. I think there's a lot of work to be done to have almost like an EAP style program that's very knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. And I know there's some out there that do that, but it's, you know, those companies tend to do their own research. And so companies like ours have a hard time interfacing there. So I think there's a lot of work to be done to get in. I think also part of it is companies have a hard time putting out information to their employees about family caregivers, because a lot of people still don't identify with that language. So I think the way it will really work well is a company that's kind of a consortium of we're going to help your employees. We're this employee business program for family caregivers has a bit of a, a teaser video in which you see people from different walks of life caring for people. Mm
0: -hmm. They're caring
1: for a son with autism. They're walking in and putting the groceries down for their fairly independent dad, who's 80 years old. They're feeding their mother, who's, you know, got dementia and living at home. And you see people in different walks of life, all caring. And then it's clear, all these folks can use our resource service for free, right? Mm -hmm. Like something that really speaks to people who do not, I don't see myself as a caregiver, but I help my mother-in-law all the time. Yep. I don't see myself as a caregiver. We
0: hear that all the time. And it is one of those invisible things in our world. And so I, I think the more that all of us can just talk about it like this, mm-hmm. the more we can move the conversation along. I personally believe COVID and the prolonged pandemic has helped us quite a bit because the duty of care has become so evident. It was evident to many of us before that, but I think now, even if you are not actively caregiving, even in that innocent, non-self-identifying way, you understand, you know, someone who's doing it. And so Mm -hmm. I I think that's a gift. That's one of the gifts of the prolonged pandemic. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: And I'm thankful for what you're doing because I think companies like yours that are really reaching out to companies directly and offering education, offering workshops that can help people see that there are resources available, there are tools they can take advantage of, is essential. And I think you'll have perhaps an easier entry into some companies than a a home care agency would, right? Who's coming knocking doors? hey, I want to tell your employees about my home care service, right? I mean, it's great. And I think every HR director should do that, but I think you'll have an easier time helping because you're educating people on what's available and then they can then they can take the next steps.
0: Well, thank you for saying that. We really want to spearhead organizations embracing having mm-hmm. a caregiver-friendly environment
1: mm-hmm.
0: so, so that it's not, a strange, unusual thing that's hidden under the carpet. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be. It's, it's like, it's a life stage, just Mm -hmm. like having a child or getting married or any of those things that happen and have happy, happy Mm -hmm. things attached to them. But, Mm -hmm. but, but, you know we know statistically that many many people are going to be dealing with these challenges in their lives so yes um, yes yeah i i just want to see people talk more about it more openly and i i would love to see people actually embrace the idea of death and dying even mm-hmm. my friends go crazy at me at dinner when we're trying to drink wine and have a good time and and i'm going off on mic <laughs> <laughs> but right? um, but I do believe talking about it is, is one of the best things we can do because it starts to normalize it and get people in the mode of accepting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only the grown children, but also the parents. Let's see, yes. because I always try to get people talking about this stuff, but usually one of them will dig their heels in, either the grown kids or the parents will mm-hmm. say, I'm not talking about that now. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not, it's not time. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the two and, and it's not uh, th- there's no weight on either side yes. of that because we, we never know. I do have big hope for the millennial generation, though, I must say, I think the baby boomers are more resistant to talking about it than the millennials. This is a Mm. whole other uh, podcast we can do, Benjamin, but I find the millennials to be a little more practical about that Mm. and Mm. a little more accepting and open-minded to talking about it.
1: Mm. Interesting. You know, one other tactic that I'm taking in my city is I work with a team of people to do a, it's kind of a grassroots consortium of of businesses and nonprofits where we started four years ago, the Senior Hero Awards, where we give awards away every year to family caregivers and professional caregivers across our county. And we have the mayors come from the various cities. We have state legislative representatives write letters and give certificates. We have a very significant media presence. And the idea is that if we can honor Those who are doing this work and we give away cash prizes and grants and we give away scholarships and we do a lot to really show that the work that caregivers are doing family or professional is so important. And I think that I think that's something, you know, any company in our city can nominate an employee. So I think that over time, that will also help shift the conversation, because if Hewlett Packard and Nike and all these other companies in our area are publishing with their employees that, hey, nominate a peer who's taking care of a loved one, that's going to bring about a different sense of identity. I, I
0: love that idea because that's awareness building and it's super helpful So as we wrap up, Benjamin, I know that you have a fantastic show called Answers with Experts. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Because what we're going to do is put the information for our listeners in the show notes. And uh, I'd just like to let you ask our listeners yourself for their contributions.
1: Sure. So we we work with different experts across the globe. Uh, we've had people from Portugal, Texas, all over the place who have experience- Portugal and Texas, huh? <laughs> um, all over the place to come and li- we live stream on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook at the same time. Nice. Typically it's on Wednesdays. And we have typically brought questions from family caregivers. Sometimes they send me video, audio questions. Sometimes it's written- And then we interact with all those questions and these experts grapple with tough issues. How do I help my dad when he cannot use the bathroom and I'm not there? And what's going on? How do I help my mom? She's repeating herself over and over and over again. I'm getting a headache. Whatever the issue is, we try to dive in there. So I'm always looking for family caregivers who have really hard questions. They haven't gotten answered or just want a different perspective. And then we get those questions to these experts and every episode's a different expert. And we try different, hear from different people and different perspectives. Okay. So they can just text a number that you're going to put in the show notes with their question. They just put okay. uh, hashtag answers, text that number 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I'll get those questions and get back to them if their question was selected on when we're showing it.
0: Okay. That's very exciting. So again, we will have that information in the show notes. And uh, I would just like to thank you so much again for joining us today, Benjamin. We definitely are going to do this again. There's so many things that we can talk about. And uh, I, I appreciate all the gems you've shared and all that you do in this landscape. And, you know, it's really lovely that you've been involved in this since seven years old. Let's just go ahead and say that. And, you know, supporting care receivers and their caregivers in the world. So as fellow advocates in improving the caregiving ecosystem for the better, we understand the huge challenge for companies, for society, and for governments worldwide. And we touched on some of those things today. And I love looking at this from many different perspectives. So thank you so much for your perspectives today. We do ask each of our guests to share one tip uh, for our listeners. Do you have a tip for us today?
1: One of the biggest tips I have is to always focus on connection as the reason you do everything when you're caring for a loved one, especially a loved one with dementia. Don't focus on, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the best thing? The most scientific thing? Focus on how can I bring a moment of connection with this person that I'm caring for? That I think the most important thing.
0: I love that, Benjamin, a moment of connection yes Mm. okay well again thank you so much for joining us the world of caregiving is definitely a better place with you in it and together we've got this
1: thank you debbie it was a pleasure
0: thanks so much for joining us today this is debbie howard this is tanya Krim.
1: and i'm jonathan brody we are the hosts of caregiver camps podcast please feel free to share our podcast and consider joining us for new perspectives in creating more productive caregiver friendly workplaces Come visit us at caregivercamps.com to learn more about how we can help your company. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time at Caregiver Camps Podcast.